Good morning, everybody. Good to have you here this morning and uh, great to be with you. My name's Tim, and uh, for your first time here, just sit back and uh, hope you'll learn something and be encouraged today. Uh, there's a few things I just want to remind you about, one of them being uh, that uh, this Saturday we're having a little Prairie Bible Camp work day, and uh, some of us are going to be leaving uh, like Friday afternoon or evening, and we're going to spend Saturday probably till noon working on the camp. They're needing help getting it ready, and if you're interested in doing that, if you could just contact me, just reach out with a text or a phone call, I'd appreciate it. Also, next week is Mother's Day, and I hope you'll come back as we uh, celebrate Mom's Day. And uh, it's good to have my mom uh, back to uh, to be in the same building together. So, uh, hope you'll have a uh, you'll have plans for that and and uh, be together next week. We're in a series of lessons uh, uh, looking at the twelve and uh, the twelve disciples, the apostles, we call them. Last week we had. 15 points. I lied to everybody. I said the lesson title said 12 lessons. There was actually 15 points, and I'll try not to be deceptive today. No, but we did. We went through that whole thing pretty good, and it was some great insights there. And I, so now we're going to get into looking into each one of these, hopefully each one of them. We might have to group a couple of them together. Now, the reason we're doing this is because the 12 we can identify with, they're not extraordinary guys. They're just ordinary folks. They didn't have, they weren't professionals. They didn't have a lot on the ball. They didn't have everything together, thank God. I mean, if they had everything together, then that would disqualify, uh, if not all of us, most of us here. But Jesus wanted to be with them, and I think that is cool. You don't have to have everything together for Jesus to want to use you. And, and he's interested in you. And so he wants to use us like these disciples. And so today I wanted to start with the very first person that heard the words, follow me. And it was Philip, the very f- first to hear that. Look at this passage here in John chapter 1. It says, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. He's the very first person to hear this. Yeah, uh, what, what happened the day before? Well, John the Baptist is walking around and he's with uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John, those guys, and he goes, behold the Lamb of God. And those fellows begin to follow Jesus. They begin to ask, they ask him, where are you staying? And Jesus simply says, well, come and see. But here he uses the term, follow me for the first time, the very next day. Now I want us to start off by understanding something. You, you don't want to get confused here. You don't want to confuse Philip of the twelve with Philip of the seven. Uh, that's mentioned in the book, you know, that's studied with uh, the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. Those are two different Philips. There's only four Philips in the New Testament, and uh, that's all, just four. And so, a couple of them are just mentioned once or twice, but the two, the two that often, we often get confused is the Philip of the seven, the seven deacons, if you say, if you will, the special guys that came afterwards, and the twelve, a Philip, one of the apostles. We're looking at the apostle. Now, Philip of the Twelve uh, is only mentioned a handful of times, basically uh, eight times uh, in Scripture, eight passages. And of those eight times, four of them, he's only mentioned in a list. You know, here are the twelve that followed Jesus, and Philip is mentioned around fifth or so. And, and we see that in Mark, uh, Matthew and Mark and Luke and Acts. And yet, uh, over uh, about half of the references to Philip are 
we find any details at all are in the book of John. And John, I believe on purpose, talks about Philip a little bit. And he gives us his little insights about Philip's life. Let me give you one here in John 1.44. It says, Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. And so you see that he was, he was a fisherman probably, most likely. He's grouped with these fellows. Uh, in fact, I've, I thought this was interesting. When you learn of Philip, you find out that he's probably close to about half of those disciples already. So about half of those fellows he already knew they were friends already. And so you, you have these, he shares this idea of being a fisherman. Now what I want to do is just talk a little bit about, so what insights do we get? When, we, when John gives some insights here, what do they teach you and I about following Jesus? Let's get right into them. There's three of them I want to share. And they're from these three reference places, these three passages uh, where John speaks of Philip in more detail. The first one is, I'm an important link for people who seek Jesus. If there's anything we learn about Philip, is that that we're called to follow Jesus to help others follow Jesus. And Philip was well aware of this. Look at this passage where the Apostle Paul speaks of this idea of a link between between Jesus and the rest of mankind. He says, before people can pray to the Lord for help, they must believe in Him. And before they can believe in the Lord, they must hear about Him. And anyone uh, to hear about the Lord, uh, for anyone to do this, someone, someone, it says, must tell them. And before anyone can go and tell them, they must be sent, as the Scriptures say. How wonderful it is to see someone coming to tell the good news. You see, for people to know Jesus... It comes down to someone. It comes down to a link. And we have these encounters with people. Um, I don't think they're coincidental. When you meet somebody and you see somebody and, you know, I, I think of myself, do, 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 something is happening. It's a God thing going on here. And sure enough, that, that's, that's what, what Paul is describing here. He's saying that, you know, that before someone can even begin to hear about Jesus and follow Jesus, there has to be a link. And folks, that link is you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're that link. And it's, and by the way, it's wonderful to be a link for Jesus Christ. It's a good thing. It's, it shouldn't, does it scare me at times? Man, I'm nervous. I get nervous. I get scared too. But it's, but you know what? I, I also, Get excited because it's wonderful. It is good to be that link. And, and Philip was aware of this. He was aware of, of his role in helping others find Christ. Look at it says here in John 12. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at a festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in, in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to Andrew, and Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Now, what are Greeks doing at this feast? And by the way, it's a major event. They're at an event, and it's the Passover. What are they doing there? You know, they're Greeks. Well, are they Jewish? Are they are they Jewish that have some? Are they Hellenistic Greek uh, Jews, as what some people might think of, or are they just Greek people? 
It looks to me that if it would if they would have been Grecian Jews, they would have meant they would have said Grecian Jews. It sounds like they're just Greeks. And one of the things about Greeks is they are so curious and they are seekers of knowledge. And one of the things, again, I notice again is is that the reason Greeks are in this time in Jerusalem is because before the Roman Empire, you had a fellow by the name of Alexander the Great. And he conquered most of the world, and he was Greek. And because of that influence, and he, he had such a, the Greek empire had such a profound impact on the culture. Uh, another thing to note is that Alexander the Greek, unlike, un, uh, the Greek, unlike the Assyrian Empire or the Babylonian Empire or the, or the uh, Persian Empire, they leveled Jerusalem. Whereas when Alexander the Great came to Jerusalem, he had a thing for antiquities and he loved this kind of stuff. And so he had a great respect for the temple and for the Jewish heritage. So the Jews liked him. They liked the Greek empire. And it may have something to do with why they embraced the Greek culture so well, because they had such a deep respect for deity and for God. And so this Greek culture has a great influence to where Greeks would come and they would eavesdrop and they would seek out and they would learn more and more about about this God of Israel. Philip's name happens to be Greek. He and Andrew are the only two disciples on the list that have Greek names. And so it is interesting, I think, because that means that these guys, when they're looking around who to talk to and they see some fellows around Jesus they find out, oh, that guy's named Philip. Maybe he has something. In, he's Greek. He must have some Greek influence. You know, maybe he grew up in a Greek home or was some. Maybe some. Maybe he had Hellenistic, you know, uh, uh, parents that had that Greek and Jewish culture mixed together. And so he. So they approach him, and and they they begin to ask him, Hey, we want to see Jesus. And what's Philip do? Well, he goes and gets Andrew, another Greek named fella, and they tell Jesus all about it. I don't believe it's coincidental that John is mentioning this in Scripture because we've learned that of the Gospels, you got Matthew that was written predominantly to the Jews, just the way it's framed, the way it's structured, it's written to the Jewish culture. And Mark is written to a Roman culture. It emphasizes things that a Roman would be drawn to. But, but John, they call it the universal gospel. Is what a lot of people say, you know, Luke, they think might have been more of a Greek approach. But John is mentioning, he kind of mixes it all together. Jewish, Roman, Greek. Why? Because he wants Greeks to know something. He wants people to know a couple of things. Number one, that Jesus wants everybody. That God wants everyone in his kingdom. And he, and he, he wants to have a relationship regardless of our ethnic background or our culture um, that we, we've grown up in. But there's a second thing I think he's wanting to kind of tip his hand and let us know, John wants us to know, and that is that God uses our infinity to connect with other people so they can find Christ. What do you mean, Tim? I'm saying that this is one of the primary ways how God uses us to reach out. He uses the things we have in common. If you notice this, I've noticed this. There are some people you just hit it off with naturally. 
uh, I've had I've had a few of those relationships in my lifetime. We just hit it off from day one. We don't know why, and we even say it's almost like I already know you. We can almost finish each other's sentences. How is that possible? We have something in common. And it's one of the best ways that Jesus uses us to reach and to uh, bring others to Christ. It's these common links that we have that he wants to use. And he uses it in Philip's life, and he wants to use it in yours. Well, what kind of common links are you talking about? Well, sometimes it's an age thing. When I was a kid, I hung out with kids. Now, I know I'm 60-something now, and I still hang out with kids some. Okay, I get that. But but I was I identify with kids. When I grew up in the 70s, I was a teenager in the 70s. I had the attitude of a teenager in the 70s. I had, and, and some of you who grew up teenagers in the 70s, the, the bell bottoms, the big bell bottoms. Remember the big ones? Oh yeah, alt, yeah. I mean, you walk around, you're like, just a passing through, you know. We had the dingo boots, the penny loafers that actually had a penny in it, you know. The paisley, oh my gosh, the paisley, I wore paisley out. Wore it everywhere, wanted to get a tattoo, paisley on me, you know. That was a big deal. Wore my hair down to my shoulders. I know it doesn't. You think it. There's no way, Tim. And my hair had to be perfect. I know the girls spend a lot of time in front of the mirror, but I spent way too much time in front of the mirror because I had to look, you know, cool. People with gray hair? Okay, no. People in their, in their mid-twenties? Old people. Write them off. Then I got to, then I get out of high school, I go to, go to preacher school and I learn, oh man, I can, I can grasp some of this stuff. I, and then I begin, I get married and all of a sudden I'm not, I'm talking to people that are married like me. Uh, Midwestern people. They share the same interests. Some of the, I notice I'm connecting with certain kinds of people age-wise and now I'm in my sixties and I'm, I'm noticing that gray-haired people For some reason, we have conversations. And by the way, I can have conversations with gray-haired people I could not have when I was a teenager. I can say to them, you're silly. And they went, I went, hey, I qualify. You can't, you can't say you're a young kid anymore and don't know what I'm talking about. I've had lots of conversations with old people because I are one now. Then there's, then there's, there's, uh, we, we might share the same interest. Uh, I was never into automobiles in high school. I was into sewing. Please, don't judge. I was into that kind of stuff. Woodworking, things like that. I could sew things. My mom taught me how to sew. My grandma taught me how to sew. But, uh, but I noticed as, as I would never think of being a gearhead. I'd go to school and these guys would be talking about, you know, a 396, the four and a floor and a Hemi with a Holly carb. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And headers. I'm going, what, my hair? What's wrong with it? No, no, no. And then later, I never would dream of now I talk to nothing as in my auto glass business with all these gearheads all the time that are restoring these old cars. Never thought I'd be dealing with car dealership. And if you sell cars for a living, I don't mean to judge, but I can't stand people who sell cars. <laughs> you, say, you share the passion. 
Well, we have these interests. These are connections, right? We have connections. Some of it's, it's a hobby. Some of it's the past. Some, you know, I was a Green Bay Packer fan long, you know, long before anybody knew because we were, the team was so lousy. I didn't want anybody to know I was a Packer fan. And then Brett Favre came along and changed all that. We have all these, these interests. We, we, sometimes with kids, just having kids. I, I saw where I was reaching out to and inviting people to church that were at Boy Scouts and soccer games and T-ball. Why? Because I was at Boy Scouts and soccer came in T-ball. And that's what we did. We, we rubbed shoulders with people who had children. And I noticed some of these are seasons that we have only for a brief moment. And then we move on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. But God gives them to us. And why does he give them to us? Well, he gives them to us because there's other people that have them too. And we are that link to reach them, to talk to them, to encourage them to follow Jesus. It's not coincidental. It's on purpose. And it's it's a strategic way God works. And so I would encourage you to think about how can God use where I'm at right now, the season I'm in, if I have children or teenagers or I'm, I have a particular interest because we're bumping into people all the time that we have something in common with and God wants us to have Him in common too. So we start with that commonality. Now there's something else I notice about Philip you can't miss here before we go to the second point. I notice here it says when uh, these guys asked, can we see Jesus, he goes and gets Andrew. What's that all about? Well, maybe Philip isn't the boldest person in the world. Maybe he's somewhat of an introvert. Do you know anybody like that? Don't look at them. You know, but you don't say they're a little more introverted than most folk. So God can't use you. No, God can use you. And what's he do? He goes and gets help. He goes and gets help. When I'm having trouble trying to connect with someone, all I got to do is go find another follower and they can help me. I don't have to know, I don't, listen, I don't have to know a lot to help others follow Christ is what I'm trying to say. That's what we notice about Philip. And you don't have, you, listen, you don't have to know, you don't have to know a lot yourself. Just be yourself and just embrace the link. Start recognizing, you know, there's a reason I'm here in this situation. God wants to use me. Here's the second thing. My invitation is powerful when it's a priority. I notice when it's a priority, I invite more people to church. I know when it's a priority, I tend to talk about Jesus more. And it's always powerful. It's always powerful. One of the first things Philip does when Jesus says, come follow me, is he goes and finds a friend. He uses his friends. He finds a friend. And his name is Nathaniel. Philip, it says, found Nathaniel here in John 1. And told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about the law, about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel goes, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? And Nathaniel goes, come and see. I noticed Philip's invitation's a little sloppy. It's not very polished. What do you mean, Tim? Well, 
he says, hey, you, we have found this guy, and it's what Moses is talking about. There you go. Ah, ah. Prophets are talking about it. Ah, ah, ah. And he's from Nazareth, and his dad's name's Joseph. What happened? What happened there? Well, you know, you, it just, it hasn't got that pop and snap. Maybe it doesn't have to have the pop and snap. I believe there's no perfect invitation. In fact, the best invitation is your invitation. It's just using what you know about Jesus. Again, Nathaniel sits there and what does he say? He says, how can anything good come from Nazareth? He doesn't argue about Moses. He doesn't argue with the prophets. Oh, no, no, no. He starts off with, how can anybody, anything good come from Nazareth? And I know sometimes we, we might fumble over our words. I've done that many times, knocking doors. But it doesn't matter. They're powerful. If I just invite people, warts and all. Because Nathaniel ends up going with Philip. That's what I notice. In fact, Philip doesn't try to argue with him and say, well, let me give you five bullet points why Jesus is who we, we know is true and gives all this slick information. It's been my experience that slick information is not what makes people follow Christ. It starts with a simple invitation. Because what we're saying is to people, God wants you. And that is powerful. That is powerful. I was reading this, and I, you know, you, you can find statistics that say anything, but this is the one I found as I was just searching on the Internet here just about how's, how's it working with churches nowadays? Why do people come to church, and why, why did I go to church? I got to thinking about that. Why did I go to church? And, it, and, and what I'm about to share with you is has been around for... It's, it hasn't moved that much in 30 years. In 30 years. They interviewed 50,000 people that go to church and they said, why do, why did you come initially? What was the thing that got you? Here they are. Number two, it was by advertisement. Two percent. Now I know we got Facebook and Twitter and whatever else we got anymore. You know, we got tons of stuff like that, but two percent is by advertisement. Six percent is by the preacher's invitation. Wow, I already knew I sucked at it. Six <laughs> percent by organized evangelism campaign. You know, we're going to have this big campaign and we're going to go out and we're going to door knock and stuff. Six percent. And look at this next one. Eighty-six percent came because they were invited by a friend or a relative. I've saw, I saw some where it said as, as high as ninety-some percent. Now look at this next statistic. It says 2% of those in churches invite. Two percent? Are you sure about that? Two percent. Here's another one I saw. Nineteen percent invite two to three people in the last six months. And you know what they're inviting people to? Easter and Christmas. Jesus believed that inviting people was important. In fact, he started, he started by his relationship with his disciples by simply asking them 
come follow me with an invitation. He told stories to support this idea of inviting. Is inviting sharing my faith? Inviting is putting my faith into practice. You say, well, sharing your faith is open to the Bible. And I, yeah. But when you open your mouth and invite someone to church, invite someone to small group, invite someone to an event, invite someone to your home with the intent of helping them find Christ, there's the purpose. I never want to be a church that does stuff just to do stuff. Right? We've got to have a strategy here. But I'll tell you, whenever you open your mouth, you are expressing and putting your faith into practice. That's power. That's why it's so powerful. And invitations can be so powerful. Look what Jesus says here in Luke 14. Here's how much He valued inviting. When one of those at the table with Him heard this, He said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied with a story. He said, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, his servant, he sent his servant to tell them, to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. And if you read on, you find out, and they went around invited and they ran into a lot of pushback. I remember one time I invited somebody. We had chili at our small group. I'll never forget his response. I'm not coming to your chili revival. What? We're having chili. I know what you're trying to do. Okay, well, more chili for me. <laughs> That's all I took it. But I just and we and they, and their people were giving pushback to this servant in this story. I just did this. I just excuse me. I just had this happen. Excuse me. And they gave excuses one after the other. But what I want you to see in this passage, notice it says that someone said this, and it's a true statement. Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Is that true? Yes. To be in the presence of God, to be at His banquet table, it's it's an up. It's a good thing. It's a great thing. It's an awesome thing. It's a blessing. Do I believe that? Do you believe that? That it's a blessing to follow Jesus? Because it has a profound impact on how much you invite. I know it has a profound impact on how I invite. Because many times in those moments, I'm not thinking about inviting anybody. I forget about how blessed it is to know Jesus Christ. He goes on to say this, Sir, the servant said to the master, what you ordered has been done. Wouldn't you like to be able to say that to the Father? What you've Asked has been done. I've invited. And I've, I tell you what, just the last couple of months, I've been more and more aware of, I need to be talking to people about Jesus when I meet them and I see them and welcome it and not be put off by it. I got things to do. Yeah, the Father's work. The Father's work. And I just noticed that just being a little bit more aware is making me invite people again. I guess I've got to admit to you, I haven't been inviting, and it's nice to invite again. It's refreshing. And I want to be able to say to, to the Father, what you've ordered has been done. 
Notice he says, but there's still room. Oh, so one, one invitation may not work? Correct. Might have to ask more than once. Might have to invite people more than once. Then the master told the servant, go out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them. One translation says, make them. Does that mean you put them on guilt trips? Do you twist their arms? Do you drag them in? I don't know. I like the word compel. <laughs> I just think of ways of, oh, I just got to find a way to get them here because because it's so good, it's so rich. I want them to experience this. He said, and he says, compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Again, I just, you know, the Lord wants his house full. I was reminded the other day that the Lord wants his house to be a house of prayer. Amen. And he wants it to be full. And see, in today's post-COVID world, it seems like that it's more likely that anybody that's getting invited right now, it may have been the, be the first time they've ever been invited in years. And so I want to encourage you to understand, oh man, I'm a link. I'm a link that God wants to use me. And, and, he, and, and this, this simple invitation, Tim, I don't know how to study the Bible. I wouldn't know where to start. Don't start there. Start with the invitation. And if you get stumped, be like Philip and go get some help. Just go get some help. Two are better than one. And it may take more than one invitation. You know, I know that. That's how I was reached. I had to be invited many times. I, I wasn't as, as nice as referring to Denise's church as a chilly revival. I was much, much more unkind. Not coming to your church. You know, you're so strict over there. Your backs don't even touch the, the seat, the back of the seat. You're so straight. You know, I mean, I had some real problems that we had to work through. And she just kept inviting and kept inviting and kept inviting. And then I go and I go and I sit there and I'm looking around scared to death because I didn't know what. And I found out they were scared to death too. They were just like me. They didn't know what to say. I was afraid he was going to say something stupid. You know, they were too. If you're afraid of saying something stupid around here, join the club. It is, we got, we got lots of members. Lots of members here already, and the membership's wide open. I just remember, finally I'd go. Finally I went again. Finally I'd open up my Bible, and my life began to drastically change. And it started with, how about coming to church? Or we got a party. We got a wiener roast. I went to a wiener roast with Denise one time, and all of her male Christian brothers were talking to me. They were singing. I know what they were trying to do. I'm not stupid, but I kind of liked it. Figure that one out. It was kind of nice. These guys, you know, were having a good time. They're not what I thought they were. And it all started with an invitation. Number three, God provides a learning curve as I follow Jesus. If there's anything we learn that John wanted, wants the readers of his gospel to know is about Philip is he reveals he's a link, you're a link. Invitations are powerful when they're, when they're a priority. And the third thing is, God knows there's gotta be a learning curve to following Him. I haven't got it all figured out. I'm still working on my sermon. 
up to the last second. And if I had a pen, I'd probably be writing it here now. I don't. I, I, I take it. I take, somebody said, you preach today? I'm taking another stab at it. There's a lot of, lot to be a Christian. And sometimes it can be overwhelming and sometimes it can be intimidating. And the disciples, the great thing, at least, I mean, I, I hate to be a, you know, uh, it's not gloating, but when you see somebody else mess up, you kind of go, oh good. Right? You ever notice that? Oh, well, look at him. You know, his zipper's unzipped. Okay, yeah. That's happened to me. Oh, look, he doesn't know how to drive very well. Oh, he, he dribbled some food or he's got egg on, you know, I get it. Yeah. And it's nice to know the disciples really messed up a lot. It gives me some hope. You know, they refer to, uh, one writer refers to Philip as the dense disciple. How would you like to have that name? Here's the dense one. Huh? What happened? You guys talking about me? I just walked in the room. What are you talking about? Well, give it time. Give him a minute. Watch what happens. And sure enough, you know, Philip, like Peter, could sometimes stick his foot in his mouth. We don't get it the first time around. You won't get it the first time around. And thank God that the three R's of following Jesus and learning about Jesus are repetition, repetition, repetition. He knows if you don't get it the first time, okay, we'll come back to this again. And you read the Gospels, they come back to a lot of stuff over and over and over until finally, bing, a light goes off. I get it. What'd you get? I didn't get it. You're the, you're the dense guy. You don't, you're not going to get it. It's going to take a little longer with you. But I got it. Only to find out I don't got it. We're all figuring this out. And why is that? Well, I think it's, I'll tell you, let me admit to you. I have ideas and I have concepts and I have perceptions that have been so ingrained in me that whenever I get into a situation, I go into that default. Even though I go, you know, I know I need to do this. I need to believe this. And I go into that default as soon as something else. You ever notice that it happens to you? You're doing really well and bam, you're into this default mechanism, this default mental mechanism. And that's because it's been ingrained in us. And it's Jesus who patiently keeps going, okay, Tim, let's go over this one more time. You need to smile more. You know that, right? I know, but you gave me this face and I don't want this face. I want somebody else's. I want Allison's face. Okay, let me get this straight. You want Allison Osborne's face. Well, she's always so beamy and bright and I'm so, look at my face. I mean, Clint Eastwood makes money with this face. I don't make any friends with this face. You say, Tim, you really talked this out of me. Yes, I have. (laughs) Or Tim, you know, why you got a problem with this? You know, you keep running into this. You said you're going to line up all your beliefs and see if they're in the Bible. Well, here's one we've been having to come back to over and over and over. Why do we have to do this? I don't know. I think it's because you're dense. But that's okay. I'll keep coming back to it. This is Philip. This is me. Look at John 6 here. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for all these, these people to eat? He asked this only to test him. For he already knew, had in mind what he's going to do. Philip answered, it's going to take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. You know, Philip, uh, Philip is a fisherman, so he's, he's into, you know, if you know fishermen, they look at all the factors. 
when they're fishing, when the fish will bite, when they won't bite. They all know where the fishing spots are. They've done their research. And I know some of these fishermen have fish finders. They're cheaters. But anyway, they, they, you know, they got those, they've used anything, give them an edge. And Philip has got all this facts and figures and factors figured in. And he's going, there is no way this is going to work. And Jesus is he's, he's, he's thinking, we're looking at this, and you, Jesus is asking Philip because he knows Philip thinks this way. And I do too. And I bet you do too. We think like this sometimes. We go back to these default places. There's a lot going on in this passage. Philip sees the number of people. He gets his slide roll out or whatever it is, you know. And he's figuring it out, going, nah, 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 not going to work. It's not going to work. It's mathematically impossible, is what he says. And you know people like this. I know people like this. I can be like this, where we can we can give every reason why it can't be done, why we can't do it, but not think about what we can do. You say, you mean... What you can do. No, I, listen, Jesus, notice what Jesus says. He asks the question, where shall we buy bread? We're doing this together, Philip. You've calculated, well, we're going to have to work. I'm going to have to work. We're going to work all, we're not going to be able to do this. This isn't something you're doing by yourself, Philip. We're doing it together. See, here's how it works, Philip. I'm not going to, I'm just not going to have me do it and you stand and watch. Or the other way around either. I'm not going to have you do it all and I watch. No, we're going to do this together. You know, Andrew walks up. You know, if you walk, look at this story, Andrew walks up and goes, well, I found some fish and some bread from some kid. I had to wrestle it off of him, but I got it. And it's not enough. Oi! What are you going to do? I mean, Andrew had the idea... Do your thing. That's all the food we got. Do your thing. I was reading. I couldn't believe this. There's 37 miracles recorded in the Gospels. 37. And when you find out to this point, when they get to John 6, Philip has seen half of them. And he's stubborn. He's still going... Ah, oh man, okay, you turned the water into wine, yeah, I saw that, and I saw you raise that guy, and I saw you fix that person that was sick, and this is a stubborn, stubborn thing I got here, Jesus. I know, that's why we're going through it again. Let's go through it one more time. Where are we going to get the food for this? Oh, wait a minute. You're in this. Oh, wow. You're going to do it. Isn't that the lesson that God's been trying to teach you and I? I know he's been trying to teach me this. Tim, you, you work so hard as if you're the only one doing the work. Am I the only person, Lord, that understands that? That I'm so dependent on myself. He's saying... Would you depend on me? Because what you're about to go into in the kingdom now, what you're about to experience in front of you, because you're in the kingdom, you're going to need me big time. There's going to be things that 
that, that only I can do. But Lord, I did the math and the numbers, they just, they just don't add up. You understand? I mean, it just, it just doesn't, doesn't make sense. I look at it, I start shaking my head, and the figures, Lord, they don't lie. Philip, I know the figures don't lie, but neither do I. And when I say, with God, all things are possible, I mean all things are possible. i got to admit to you, I'm still dealing with this. I'm still going to fight. God's got me in the woodshed. He's still going, Tim, you haven't figured this out yet. We're going to have to go over it again one more time. Okay, what is it? Do you think I can do anything? Well, I think you can. I read it. And I actually have seen it sometimes. And some people, I saw you turned that around and did that over there. Yeah, and... I see you, I know you can do it there, but I'm not sure you can do it here. Tim, let's go over it again. Let's go over it again. We all carry a little bit of Philip, don't we? That little Philip attitude. And it just robs us of God doing some things. But Jesus continues patiently. I know you're hurt. I know you're discouraged. I know you're bothered. I know you're scared. I know you're worried. But let's go through that again. Let's let's address this again. But Lord, it's not the time. It is the perfect time. Right in the middle of your pain. Right in the middle of your doubts. Right in the middle of whatever you're going through. It's now's the time to learn it this time. Because if you don't learn it this time, then we got to wait for the next time. And I will be there. And we will learn it again. I don't know if I'll ever get it. I'll never leave you. Let's get it now and we'll get it, worry about tomorrow. And if we gotta get it tomorrow, we'll get it tomorrow. If we gotta go worry years later from now and you're still having an issue, we'll, we'll help you there too. Why? Cause why is Jesus so patient with us? Because he wants us to get it. He wants us to experience it. And if he has to go over it a bunch of times, he is more than happy to do it. Look at this other passage, that kind of another example as we close. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? Is he dense? Is he confused? Yeah. Just as dense and confused as I can be. You can be. But I love, what I love about this is, but he's curious. And that's the key. That I can be confused, but if I'm curious, show us the, show me the Father. How can you say that? Oh, see, he's really, he's just coming down on 
No, he's showing him the Father. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am, I'm showing you. I'm going to give you some clarity. You see, Jesus wants, not only does Philip want a deeper understanding of God, but Jesus wants you to have a deeper understanding of God too. He wants you to experience that. He wants you to know. I want to know all the answers. Well, join the club, me too. Will he ever give me all the answers? I don't. He is in the process of giving me all the answers. I just don't have them all. It takes a lifetime. Let me ask you this morning, just this whole idea of, you know, what can you learn from Philip? Is it, is it that you, maybe you've forgotten that you're a link? Or maybe, maybe you've realized, oh man, um, I can invite people. I, I, I want to have powerful invitations and, and I want to be more folks. Maybe that's the encouragement you needed this morning. Or maybe you just need to, you know, I just need to be reassured that, there's a learning curve here because I, there's times I just feel so discouraged like I, I don't, I'm not like this guy or this woman. They just seem to know so much Bible. But if you pinned them down, folks, you'd find out they don't think they know everything either. And they're just wanting, they're after clarity is with you. Do you need some clarity? Will you have the courage to open the Bible with somebody, to talk about it, to open up your heart and talk about it? Because Jesus wants you to know. He, he wants you to know that following Him involves that. That's why there's a card in your bulletin to give you an opportunity to respond to this lesson in some way. Maybe it's a decision you want to make, then write it on there. You know, I'm going to be inviting. I'm, I, I, I'm praying God help me see the link, my moments, recognize them. I want to be like that with Philip. And I want to be like Philip. Maybe it's I want to be like Philip because I want to ask those heart those questions and 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 and, and I don't want to be you know stubborn. There's a difference between being someone that's difficult to learn something and being stubborn. I don't want to be stubborn. So Lord, open my eyes, open my heart, open my mind, pour into it your word. Lots of lessons from the twelve. Lots of encouraging lessons. We hope you'll. You know, join us. You know, next week's Mother's Day, we'll do something about moms, but after that, we'll continue this series. God bless you as we all learn to follow Jesus from the first followers. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for Philip and his example. He encourages us, not just because, you know, of, of any weaknesses he has, but also just his desire. It inspires us to want to be followers of you. Lord, we pray that will embrace our role on this earth. Father, that will not only embrace that role, that will will find ways, creative ways, and look for ways to encourage others to follow you. And Father, we, first we thank you for your patience, and we pray, Father, that we'll open our hearts as you try to teach us again something that we, you want us to get. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.